Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, warm welcome from me to Church Online Campus Site. Um, not sure who of you are visitors and uh, who of you are, are regulars, but if there are any visitors in the crowd this morning, I do want to just extend a very special and warm welcome to, to you. You're very welcome amongst us this morning, whether you're visiting from another church or even if you consider yourself to really not be a massively committed churchgoer, maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself to be a committed Christian, but for some reason you're here this morning, maybe a friend brought you, maybe you were emotionally blackmailed to be here this morning, <laughs> gang-pressed, bribed, I don't know how your friend got you here, but you are very welcome. <laughs> I do hope that you, uh, that you kind of feel a, a sense of relaxation and a sense of expectancy as you're here today. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to just open in prayer. Well, Heavenly Father, what a, a great honor it is to be found in your presence. And Lord, we believe that you are in the midst of us. Lord, we gather in your name, Jesus. And Lord, it's, it's good that you are here, Lord. Because we can do nothing without you, Lord. And God, as we share some of the most amazing truths of the gospel today from the life of Zacchaeus. Father, I ask that you would be gracious, God. That you would open our spiritual eyes, Lord. That you would allow us to see the glory of God shining in the message of the gospel. And displayed in the face of the great and gracious Jesus Christ. Lord, there is nothing that we can do here without you. Lord, every heart must be opened by your Spirit. Lord, your Word has to be delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And God, I pray for that this morning, that there would be a sense of liberty, God, in the Spirit. There would be a great sense of your visiting us with your presence, with your gracious love, God, because you long for people to come to you. Granted this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going through a, a series of sermons uh, in which we're having a look at the lives of people who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And uh, we've looked at five people so far. Um, and this morning we're going to look at a man named Zacchaeus who had a similar encounter with Jesus that changed him forever. And in order to do that, if you do have a Bible, you're sitting next to someone with a Bible, just go with me to uh, Luke chapter 19, where we find the story of Zacchaeus. Just as you're going there, and to orientate you to the context of the story, in the previous verses, uh, the end of Luke chapter 18, the Bible says that Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. He was going to Jerusalem to die. He knew that he was about to die. He had told his disciples everything that is written about the Son of Man uh, by the prophets will now be accomplished. He was going to Jerusalem to die. So this is maybe a week before his death. Time is short. And as he is journeying to Jerusalem, he chooses uh, to go through a town called Jericho. But as he was on his way to Jericho... Just before he reached the town, he had an encounter with another man. 
uh, a man who, from the other gospel accounts, we know his name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was a blind man. He was a blind beggar. And Jesus healed uh, Bartimaeus uh, because Bartimaeus had uh, incessantly cried out as the crowds were moving past. He heard that it was Jesus, this great commotion, and he'd shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they said to him, just be quiet, man. And he refused. He shouted all the more, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that term, the Son of David, was an expression of faith. Because the Old Testament had prophesied that the Messiah, the chosen King, the Savior of God's people, would be of the tribe of Judah through the lineage of David. So when he called him Son of David, it was an expression of faith. And he had come to Jesus, and Jesus had said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And, uh, and Bartimaeus had expressed his faith. He said that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus had been instantly healed and he recovered his eyesight. And in the closing verses of chapter 18, it says, uh, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. He, as soon as his eyes were opened, he followed Jesus. Not only was he following Jesus, but he was glorifying God. And we're going to see both of those things in the life of Zacchaeus today. In fact, if I could summarize my message this morning, it would be to demonstrate to you that God is the author of salvation from start to end. And when someone has been saved, they will bear those two fruits in their lives. They will be full of joy in their salvation and they will obey Jesus through righteous living, through the fruit of righteous living. Just as Bartimaeus was glorifying God and following Jesus. And he gave praise to God. And in the next verse, Jesus then enters Jericho. And he has in the crowd that's following him, a new convert. This used to be blind man called Bartimaeus. He's following Jesus into Jericho. And was there ever a more perfect school of Jesus Christ? A more perfect education in the gospel and what the gospel is and how the gospel works? Was there ever a better school than the school that Bartimaeus followed Jesus into in Jericho? Because one of the very first things that Bartimaeus would see in his life, now that his eyes were opened would be an interaction, an encounter between Jesus Christ and an exceedingly sinful man named Zacchaeus. And Bartimaeus would witness this. And Bartimaeus would learn at least three lessons from the school of the gospel that he attended in Jericho that day. And I want us to learn these three things together with Bartimaeus this morning. The first uh, six verses, let's read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature, a physically short man. So he ran on ahead climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, 
For I must stay at your house today. Here's the first thing that Bartimaeus learned that day. And I am praying that God will allow you to see. He will open your eyes to see it this morning. Salvation is entirely a work of God. Entirely. From start to finish, it is a gracious work of God. This man Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The tax collectors in the times of Israel were working for the enemy, so to speak. They were employed by the Roman government to gather the taxes from their fellow Israelites. And they would often do so through extortion, through violence. They would collect too much and they would shave off the top and make themselves exceedingly rich. And that's exactly how this man became wealthy. He became wealthy through corruption, through violence, through threatening. Don't see Zacchaeus as this innocent, short little guy who had just done well in business. That is not the case. This man was a sinner. He was the Jackie Celebi of Israel. (laughs) Corrupt. With no compassion on the poor. In fact, he tread on the poor. He would walk into a widow's house and he would take her last widow's mite. The last cent she had. And he didn't care because he wanted to be rich. That's this man. And yet something stirred him when Jesus came to town. We know that that Zacchaeus knew about Jesus. He had heard the reports. Maybe he'd heard about the miracles. And when he heard that Jesus was coming into Jericho... Something in him stirred him to come and see this man. Maybe it was simply curiosity. He wanted to see what this man looked like. This man who could raise the dead. This man who opened the eyes of those who were blind. What did he look like? If you are here this morning out of curiosity, what happens at this church? Why are these people so excited? That's okay. Because you might just find yourself like Zacchaeus sitting in a tree this morning and suddenly you hear your voice. Spoken by the Son of God, come down. I must come to your house today. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer just before his death. And in the first three verses, he said this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, now listen, to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. There is a great mystery in the gospel that our minds will never fully comprehend. That before time even began, before time itself was created, and be under no illusions, time is a creature of God. Eternity past, the present and eternity into the future, were created by God. They sit at His feet. He does with them as He wills. They're all one to Him. When He issues a decree, He decreed all of history in a moment. And part of that decree was this. Within the Trinity itself, before time even began, there was a great transaction that took place. In terms of that transaction, the Father made a covenant with the Son. And in terms of that covenant, the Father agreed 
out of the mass of human beings whom he would create, whom, who would fall into sin, out of that mass of fallen humanity, he would take a group of those people who the Bible calls his elect, and he gave them to his son as a love gift. And in terms of that covenant the father made with the son, The son said, I will go in time, in human history, and I will be born into a human body, and I will go and pay for their sins. I will shed innocent blood and take the wrath and punishment that we as the Godhead have upon fallen man. I will take it upon myself, and I will redeem these that you have given me. And then together we will hold them for all eternity. It's a great mystery. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus is disputing with the Jews as he did so much in his ministry because they, they, they could not receive his, his ministry, his message. Jesus said this to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name. Zacchaeus, you come down. Zacchaeus is sitting in that tree. He just wants to see what this miracle working teacher looks like. Zacchaeus gets right below him and stops and looks up and calls him by name. How does this man know my name? Am I dreaming? How can this be? What is he stopping? He's speaking to me. To me. He calls you by name. He says, Come. And he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own. When he's brought out all his own. Those who've been given to him from before eternity began. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. You skip down to verse 14 there. You don't have to go there. It says. Jesus continued. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. There is the strange recognition that happens between Jesus and those who've been given to him. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for who? For the sheep. For those who've been given to me. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, not of the Jewish nation. I have other sheep of the Gentile nations that I must bring them also. I must bring them in. Why? Because that's the reason I've come. I have come to bring in those who've been given to me, and I will bring in every single one of them. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I must come to your house, Zacchaeus, because you have been given to me by the Father. You are my sheep. You wonder why, Zacchaeus, you felt like you had to run ahead of the crowd. You wonder why you, had, you felt this compulsion to climb a tree to see who I was. Folks, rich, corrupt, 
sinful Jewish wealthy businessmen do not climb trees. When last did you see an Investec banker climbing a tree? Zacchaeus, why do you feel such a compulsion to see me? You know why, Zacchaeus? Because you were given to me before eternity began. And the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they come to him. This is a great mystery, folks. But this is what the Bible teaches about salvation. It is entirely of God. He says, I am... uh, Continue. I'm the good shepherd. I know him by my own, just as the Father knows me. I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. I'll bring them in, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, said Jesus. Then further down, verse 24, Jesus said this. That the Jews were now assailing him. You know, this, this doctrine of election, of predestination... It causes such massive controversy. Because it is so offensive to the mind of man. We don't want to think that we have absolutely no power of our own. We want to think that it is some kind of good decision that I took that made me a Christian. It's offensive to us that God says, I save whom I will. So they are now attacking him. They said to him, if you are the the Messiah, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said to them, I told you. And you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But you do not believe. Why don't they believe? Because you are not among my sheep. Notice it's not the other way around. It's not... You're not among my sheep because you don't believe. No, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. It hasn't been given to you to believe. (laughs) My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. Fifteen years ago, I was found in a church like this. Having felt a deep conviction about the Lord and about my disobedience and about my exceedingly sinful life that I was living. For a number of years, I knew that this, this, this Jesus was the Savior. I knew it and yet I, I refused to come. I hardened myself in sin and, and yet He never gave up. And through the, the contrivings of a sovereign God, of a, of a God who works through providence... I found myself in a church and there was a man preaching the gospel um, as boldly as I'd ever heard a man preach the gospel before. I'd never heard impassioned preaching like that. It was in the Baxter Theatre. We were sitting on the stairs. The place was absolutely packed. There was not, not a, a, a seat in the room. And this man is preaching on the book of James. I still remember it. Saying, faith without works is dead. Don't claim you're a Christian and live another way. And that's exactly the way I always lived my life. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But I lived like every other student on the campus. And I felt deeply convicted that night. And as that man preached, he, he, at the end of his message, he asked everyone to close their eyes. And he said, if you feel the, the, the drawing of God this morning... 
You need to respond to the gospel. And the only way I can describe this to you is I had a spiritual experience that night. I'm sitting in this auditorium. My eyes are closed. And for 40 minutes, I had felt like this man was preaching to me. It wasn't just that it was relevant to me. It was that I felt I was the person in that room that night to whom that man had been sent. And as I closed my eyes and as he began to speak about commitment to Christ, I felt as if the entire room went dark. And I felt a spotlight from heaven shine down upon me. And I felt an incredible presence. I felt an acceptance. I felt a love. I felt a power. And yet I felt a holiness and a worthlessness in my sin that I had never experienced before. An incredibly intense spiritual experience. As I sat there in this beam of light, this shaft of light was burning upon me from heaven. And in my spirit, as loudly as you can hear a voice that doesn't speak audibly, I heard the Lord say this to me, Stephen, come home tonight. Come home tonight. Enough running from me. Enough of this now. You are mine. Now come. I heard the voice of my shepherd. A strange recognition. And I came down out of that tree and I followed him. This is why in in the book of Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen to this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of my will. No, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of His glorious grace. Folks, that's why grace is so amazing. Because you don't deserve it. Even the faith that we express to be saved is a gift of God. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And that is not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, we can try to avoid this doctrine. But the truth of it is, the story of Zacchaeus, why is it in the Bible? The Bible says that Jesus did so many good works and he healed so many people and he taught so many things that if... Books were written containing it all. The world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's the words that are used of him. Why does the Holy Spirit select this story and put it into the Gospels? Because it is demonstrating that salvation is entirely of God. He stops. He looks up into the tree in which you're sitting and he says, Your name, come down. I must come to your house. Today. 
people say that it was only Paul that taught election, that it was somehow a hobby horse doctrine of Paul's. Was there ever anyone that taught election as clearly as Jesus? John chapter 6, he says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and then I will raise him up on the last day. He said, no one can come unless it has been granted by the Father. That's the first lesson that that, uh, Bartimaeus learns that day. That salvation is entirely a work of God. And we are to be grateful for it. We're not to uh, argue and criticize God. Even as Paul says in Romans chapter 9, we're not to say, well, that's not fair. It's not fair for God to deal with His creation that way. Well, who are you to argue with God? We are not the standard of justice. There is no external standard by which God can be judged. He is the standard of justice. If He says, this is just and this is holy and this is true, we are to bow before Him and say, yes, God Almighty, true and righteous are your ways. Second thing that Zacchaeus learns if we read verse 7. Where are we? Luke 18. Luke 19. And when they saw it, they grumbled. They said, he's gone to be the house of a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. So he came down with joy, the Bible says, praising God. There is a great sense of joy that should accompany us when we are saved. Um, That whole first chapter of Ephesians, Paul says that this doctrine of God setting his love upon you in eternity past. And saying, I will love you, I will save you, and I will uh, inescapably uh, keep you for the day of salvation. You will not lose your salvation. You will not stumble or fall away because I will hold you and no one is able to steal you out of my hands. I will save my sheep, he says. That is supposed to give us a great sense of joy when we bow our knees at the sovereignty of God. You know why? Because if it, if it was up to me to keep my salvation, there's no ways I could do it. As, as much as I couldn't earn my salvation or kind of work up the faith and obedience it required to become a Christian, I couldn't stay the course for a life of faithfulness to God. It is entirely of the grace of God. And yet we thank God, you know, this this group, this elect that the Bible talks about, how big is it? Well, the book of Revelation says it's it's a number beyond counting. From every tribe, tongue, nation and people. Beyond number. And what's the song they sing in Revelation? You go and read it. Salvation belongs to our God. So that's the second thing. That this this doctrine is difficult to receive, but it brings joy to those who've been saved by it. Because if you're honest, for those of you who are believers here, and you look back to the moment when you gave your life to the Lord, you, you will be honest enough to tell me this morning that actually... It had nothing to do with you. I mean, that's your testimony, isn't it? Third lesson. The fruit of salvation is good. Let's read from verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, they said. And Zacchaeus stood and he said before the Lord, Behold, 
this man standing before all of the fellow tax collectors, before all of those who, who were uh, his previous uh, companions in a sinful life, and all those who were now judging him. He's gone in to be the guest of a sinner. He stood before them all, and he was willing to give testimony to his faith in Christ. And he says, I give my half my goods to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you see the fruit of salvation in your life? For many years I claimed to be a Christian, thought I was, even wore a cross around my neck for a number of years while I was at school. But was there... Was there any fruit of salvation in my life? And there's two fruits we see in the life of Zacchaeus. Number one, he's not afraid to own Jesus Christ publicly before all his friends. Is there a boldness about your faith? Is there a willingness to own Christ before people? We were at a dinner party the other night with some of the kids' parents from our school. And um, there's two parents that are exceedingly wealthy people. And my wife was talking to this man's wife and she began to tell my wife how her childhood had been so difficult. Um, Halfway through the conversation, she said to my wife, I don't know why I'm opening up to you like this. She said, uh, you know, my my father was a, a, a sinful man. He was into some terrible things. And he, at the age of 18, I got involved in these terrible things. And then I marry this man who, the husband, I've witnessed to him before. I didn't know this about him. So I marry this man who's got these happy, clappy parents. Turns out this guy's parents are committed Christians. She says, and I marry into this incredibly stable family and this husband who is so successful and stable and loves me. And I didn't deserve any of that. And Danielle uh, was listening to this and She said to this girl, you know, it's funny you should mention your happy, clappy parents, parents-in-law, because, you know, my husband and I are very committed Christians, and our faith has played a major part in our marriage, and the, the joy that we have, and the stability that we have, and the family life that has grown around us, and we see it all as God's grace in the salvation that He's given us. There's something in a Christian that will want to own Jesus Christ when He is portrayed badly. Do you see that in your life? Secondly, I give half my goods to the poor. That's a lot of money in this man's life. Just gave it all away. There is a compassion for people. There is a sorrow for sin. There is a wanting to make amends for what you've done. Maybe it's people you've hurt that you will... I feel a burden about apologizing to. Maybe it is money that you've stolen that you need to return. Do you see the fruit of good works, of righteous living in your life? In the book of John it says this, He who has been born of God does not continue in sin. If you're continuing, young men, in delighting in pornography, internet pornography, without any sense of a deep conviction that this is wrong before God. If there's there's no deep sense of conviction, 
Yes, we do stumble in sin, but immediately we repent and we make right with God. That's the way a Christian lives. Do you see that trend of repentance and trying to live a holy life and coming before God and asking for forgiveness? Do you see that? Because if you don't see that in your life, chances are strong that you do not know God. You've not come to Jesus Christ yet. So as we close today, to encourage you with two things. You don't know why you're sitting here today if you're a guest. It may well be that God is calling you to himself. And you've heard the voice of your shepherd here today. And his voice is the same today. He says, come down. I must come to your house today. Will you come? Will you come to him? Will you bring your sin? Will you bring all of the things you've done? And will you, will you receive Him joyfully? And will you commit your life to living well and living righteously before Him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am convinced of this one thing, Lord. That unless a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. That no one can come to you, Jesus, unless it has been granted by the Father. Lord, those aren't my words. Those are your words. Lord, I want to pray that you would speak the name of people here today, Lord. That you would speak the name of those yet to come to you, yet to be born again. That you would speak their name today, God. Come, come to me and I will not cast you out. Whoever comes to me, I will welcome. Whoever comes, let him come. Lord, we don't understand how this all works. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That this offer of the gospel is a free and gracious offer to all mankind. It is, Lord. And you make that offer here this morning. Come to me. And you will be saved. And then Lord for those of us. Who do know you. Oh God let us be filled with wonder Lord. That you stopped below the tree in which we sat. And you said to us come down. Lord let it be to the praise of your glorious grace. That we even sit here today. In Jesus name. Amen.